The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. My returning guest, I'm happy to say, is Robert Lamb, the keyboardist, lead singer, and songwriter for Chicago, who formed back in 1967 and have gone on to become one of the longest-running and best-selling music groups of all time, with 38 albums and over 100 million records sold worldwide. The original lineup was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2016, and they are back on the road again, including right here in Las Vegas, as I've got the great Robert Lamb on the line right now. Hey, Jim, it's Robert. Robert, good morning. Welcome back to the show. We certainly love it here in Las Vegas when you guys have your residencies here. It's just been great for all of us. Uh, we, we enjoy it, and we get to rehearse, too. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was thinking that it probably, in a way, kind of gives you guys fresh legs, right? Because you can plant yourselves in one spot for a week, week and a half. Exactly. And, uh, you know, with with a new album that was recorded last year, uh, we now have to familiarize ourselves with the repertoire in that album to be able to bring that into the show. So, uh, you know, the days off, days off are not off. For those of us who go to see you, it looks effortless, but it's still a lot of hard work with these rehearsals, especially, like you say, when you're doing new material. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I think we're very fortunate to be able, uh, able to enjoy uh, the beautiful stage and theater at the Venetian. Yep. Get some work done at the same time. Um, I've probably seen you guys maybe 20 times or so, but your fan club members... That's a whole different level, isn't it? They travel with you and have seen you hundreds of times. Yeah, you know, it took me a while to figure out. I kept seeing the same faces in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it started it started some years ago. I couldn't figure out how they were doing that. Um, they didn't have tour buses. They certainly didn't travel with us. But, you know, you'd come out on stage in a strange town, and there would be some... Chicago fans in the audience. So I won't say that uh, ungrateful, but it is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I remember as a kid buying the 45 of questions 67 and 68, and the flip side was so good, too. Listen, written by you. When you're writing that early material, did you have everything mapped out clearly in terms of what each member would play once you went into the studio? In those days, yeah. Uh, those days, I would, I would basically score everything uh, for each player, and then you know go in, go into rehearsal, and everybody would sort of bring in whatever songs they had written, and uh, we would just start going through it. And you know, really, by the time question sixty-seven and sixty-eight, for instance, it's, uh, it's not an uncomplicated song, uh, but the guys in the band were willing to work on it and and offer ideas as we were rehearsing it. So by the time it was done, it was like really sort of kind of a group effort, even though the, the germ of the idea came from me. But that's the way we worked for a long time. I mean, those days are over now that everybody's got a laptop a studio yeah. at home. <laughs> it's a very different thing. Yeah, especially then with the first album or two, you, it, you certainly had more time to rehearse anyway. Um, when you were playing those early 
that early material in clubs in Southern California. How did the crowds react who had never seen you before or heard that material? Well, the very early material that the Californians, when we were now living in California, probably, I don't even know if we played Christmas 57 60 yet. I think we might have played. I can't even think of what the repertoire was. Oh, yeah. But, but, but it, was, it wasn't until we recorded the first album that those songs began to be uh, recognized and and really rehearsed and uh, arranged to be able to play live. I love the song you did not long ago with Jim Peterick of Ides of March, Everything is Gonna Work Out Fine. I'm assuming you played on the same bill as Ides of March back in the day, or is that where you met him? Uh, I met him actually fairly recently, just probably before the pandemic, you know? What, what year was that? 2020? Yeah. Uh, he was actually... Uh, he was doing his jazz, his jazz arrangements of his repertoire uh, with, with a good, with a good band, good jazz, jazzy band. And uh, you know, I had never met him. I was very aware of him being from Chicago and whatnot. So uh, I just, you know, after the show, I said, "Great to finally meet you, Tim. Uh, what do you think about getting together to write?" And he said, "Yeah, man, send, send me what you got." And I, I did. I sent him something that turned out to be the title song on the album, Born for This Moment, uh, I sent him I sent him the ugliest demo uh, to work with. And he came back and he really nailed it. So it began began to be a, a, a wonderful working relationship that uh, we worked on. We worked on uh, new songs for, for the last several years. And it's been a great experience. I've talked to you before about how much fun it was to play and uh, get inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, you know, all the other fun things that happened that night, including you ran into an old friend, Steve Miller, yes? Yeah, Steve. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we were all in the sort of uh, whipper was going to appear on that show. Uh, they had us all kind of boxed into the small dressing room and... Uh, as he was arriving, we were already there. He was arriving, just looking at each other and hugged because we hadn't seen each other for, you know, probably 25, 30 years. Yeah. You know, very aware of, of his uh, work. He's really fine writing and great singing. So it was really, it was really a pleasure to, to see him again. When other uh, legendary bands are starting out, Robert, and you hear it all the time, I mean, the Rolling Stones are probably the most famous to say early on that, well, we'll make an album or two and then we'll all go and do something else. Can you have imagined right. uh, that you would, you guys would still be here after all these years, like they are, actually? Uh, no, well, obviously, there, there are, there's no way a young band can picture what it might be like. You know, they may hope for it. They might hope for it. Yeah. But no, that's that's a completely different thing. And if one could look into the future and see what it's really like, and, uh, you know, the the side of it that you know, hard work, maybe some disappointments, maybe some not getting along with the bandmates, blah blah blah. If, if you could look into the future and see that 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 could be your your life. Uh, it's not so attractive, perhaps. And by the same token, I mean, the first uh, 
two or three albums were just exploding on the radio. Did you know how big you guys were back then when Chicago 1 through maybe 3 were out, or were you too busy writing, recording, and touring to even realize? I think the, the latter was probably true. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I remember uh, having a meeting with the band's business manager, you know, probably after the third album, you know, getting ready to do Carnegie Hall or something like that. Yeah. I said, and I asked, I said, I said, hey, you know, have we made any money on this thing? Uh-huh. And he just started pulling out, he started pulling out savings banks, bank books for each guy from his desk. He said, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving you these guys yet because you guys have to do a lot of, a lot more work. Yeah, you're doing okay. And I love the story about uh, you guys when you were recording, I guess it was Chicago 7 at Caribou Ranch, and you just happened to run into the Beach Boys at the airport, and, and then what happened? Because I know you were very interested in them maybe doing a vocal or two. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, we knew that they were headed up to Caribou, and there was a kind of a, not a limousine, but kind of a bus that would beat clients were going to record at the Denver uh, airport. So uh, basically just rode together uh, up to Caribou, and we kind of just talked about it. I mean, Peter Peter had his had the idea of permission we were here. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think he saw the potential immediate if they were willing, and they were willing. So they were, they were good, uh, good co-formers to have on a, on a new album. Yeah, Carl Wilson's voice was pretty stellar, wasn't it? Uh, uh, I can't tell you how how much I miss that guy. Chicago is at the Venetian Theater through March 11th. Check the Venetian box office or chicagotheband.com for more info. Robert, looking forward to seeing you guys here and, and performing once again. Uh, good luck with the rest of the tour as well. It was great to talk to you. Thanks, Jim. I, I, I enjoyed our conversation this morning very much. Thank you. When those early double albums came out from Chicago, there was nothing better than opening the album up because there was so much to look at and read. And you know, I could really hear in Robert's voice how close he was to Carl Wilson. Chicago is an endlessly hard-working band and so good live to this day. That finishes this episode of the Fake Show Podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.